0: Well, our series is the conclusion this week of the series on worship matters that's had a twofold purpose. Our goal is to share the importance of worship in our lives, but also to break down the elements that go into worship so that we might better appreciate and understand what we do whenever we come together each Sunday. So we have covered the sacraments. Then we talked about the power of music to transform us and to do the things that words cannot. Last Sunday, we talked about how the information age has changed and challenged how we proclaim the good news, and we invited you to listen for the specific good news that God intends for you to hear each week. Today we're going to look at the matters of the different perspectives we bring into worship. But we begin each sermon with a little tidbit or piece of information about how worship is important to our lives. The first week we talked about how research has showed that those persons who go to worship regularly live longer and healthier lives. We shared the stark statistic that said that people that do not go to worship at all have twice as much of a chance to die prematurely than those who do not, who do go regularly. Last week we talked about how worship is something God desires from us, not that God needs it, but God desires it much like a, a parent enjoys hearing your kids say, I love you. So when we come to worship, it's a way that we are reciprocating that love because God is love, and it's complete when it goes back and forth between us. So worship is a way we say we love. The last thing I'd like to share today is thinking about the importance of thankfulness. We know how important. We've talked before about how critical having an attitude of thankfulness does change our attitude. It creates a positive attitude for us. Part of why we tend to live longer and healthier, because we learn to look for the things to be thankful for. And think about all the places that we do write thank yous. We write thank yous for wedding presents, for birthday gifts. We write thank yous when someone's made a contribution in honor and memory of someone at a funeral. We thank people for business contacts, housewarming gifts, or a nice dinner, or someone's paid for our dinner. We write those thank yous out because someone has gone and given that extra bit to us. So I'd like for us to think about worship as that way that we say thank you back to God for all the extra he does for our personal lives and also for our world. We thought it would be an appropriate way to end our worship uh, series today by inviting you to do this symbolically and formally by writing a thank you to God. I assume you've got a thank you card in your worship bulletin. I invite you to pull it out, find a pen or pencil, hopefully there's one in the seats in front of you. And during my time of speaking here, I think you can do two things at once, right? Write a thank you note. Or if you have to write at the end of the service and bring it forward, we're going to invite you during the last hymn to come forward or you can drop it off afterwards and drop that thank you note. Write something to God that you're most thankful for. It doesn't have to be deep, doesn't have to be profound. You don't have to sign it if you want to sign it because it means more to you, go ahead. Our staff will pray over these on Wednesday morning, okay? So write a thank you. Now, for our message today, I'd like for us to think about, and I I guess I just need to be transparent about what inspired this series and what I want to accomplish today. And that, that came from a conversation that happened, a very important conversation that I think was very helpful. You see, Several months ago, Jeff Wright, our music director, had, with the encouragement of the choir, blame all of you as well, okay, that he wanted to try to slow down, soften the applause after they do an anthem because they, they wanted it to be heard not, not as a performance. They didn't want people to think we're performing, but they saw what they do as an act of service because God has given them gifts, and they share those gifts for the glory of God. And so when they hear applause, sometimes they feel like you're applauding them instead of praising God. So put even up on the screen at the end of the anthem, please hold your applause. Now the interesting thing is every choir I've been a part of throughout my ministry has felt exactly the same way. They've complained to me about people applauding, and I basically told them, you just have to grin and bear it because there's no way I can stop it. So I was pretty surprised when it seemed that Jeff had fairly well negotiated that, and boy, was I wrong, because after a while, I started getting some emails, very carefully worded emails, that shared that they weren't too happy with that prohibition, and shared their reasons why, and it became apparent that it was a group larger than just a few, and so we decided to get people together and have a conversation with Jeff Wright and I, and it was a very fruitful congregation. Uh, conversation. Excuse me. It was very helpful. Jeff got a chance to share his perspective, shared the theological rationale behind it, but also he pointed out some things like the fact that that sometimes when applause happens, it breaks the mood. Just like today's anthem was a good one, just to let our spirits rest into. He also we've noted that sometimes our applause becomes a act of evaluation without meaning to. Because it's just only natural. We applaud louder for the songs we like and a little more tepid for the songs that we don't like so much. And and that kind of sends a bad spirit. But the group that wanted us to get together also had some good reasons. They pointed out that applause is one of the most natural things that a human being can do. In our society, it's the way we say thanks. They pointed out that part of worship for them is the celebration and the excitement. And they also pointed out that we just don't like people will tell us what we can and can't do. (laughs) So it was a good discussion. And what we came to was pretty much a realization, there is no good way to solve this. Because no matter what you do, one group's going to be happy over the other. And so we basically just, and and here's what we said, if somehow the Spirit could always guide us what we do. Because there's sometimes when applause is just the right thing to do. The song has power and uh, excitement to it, and it's the right thing to do. Other times, just a collective amen would be good. And then sometimes just the silence that follows is what's appropriate. So our advice to you is do what you feel like doing. And if you want to applaud, applaud. Nobody's going to tell you not to. If you don't want to, you don't have to, okay? But when we had that conversation... I thought of a presentation I'd heard a few years earlier that made a whole lot of sense about not just this issue but the whole things of worship, and I thought it would be helpful to share that with you. Now, the presentation was by Marcia McPhee, and she had done a Ph.D. dissertation on the work of four kinesiologists. Have you ever met a kinesiologist? Okay. Yeah, a few have. Well, kinesiologists study body movement, and they have done some interesting studies about how body movement also reflects personality types, and Marsha McPhee got a hold of that, and as part of her movement into becoming an ordained pastor, because see, she was a professional dancer, she saw a connection between body movement and our theology of God, our, our image of God. And so she came up with this understanding that there's four basic types of people that come into worship, and, and please don't think we're all put in a box. Uh, you're going to relate to some of these boxes more than others. But she found four different approaches that we bring that help us understand the importance for balance in our worship. So I'm going to break these down for you in just a little bit. You listen for where you think you might fit the most. And remember, not one will describe us all, but, but Marsha Mephi believes that most of us gravitate towards one more than the others. So our first group... And I'm going to come up with my own words that, in addition to her dance terms, just for us non-professional dancers, but the first one, the word would be action. People come to worship, they like a god of action. She uses the word thrusters. And people that are action people are people that relax by gardening or walking or running or doing some other activity. They are goal-oriented. You like to accomplish something. You like to do something. And when you come to worship, you enjoy processionals. You like altar calls. You like preaching that's emphatic. You like evangelists. The goal of worship is to be inspired so that you're transformed to go out and transform the world. And so you like energy songs. She calls them thrusters because it kind of reflects the ballet moves that are sudden and decisive and dramatic. Biblically, you tend to like any story in the Bible that's got action to it. You probably especially like the places where Jesus puts the Pharisees in their place. And if you were to sing a song, you might enjoy one of those that come from Easter where God overcomes evil like this song. Please join in me with me in singing this. Love. Is that thrust up oh, from the grave he arose. That's what somebody who likes God as an action power. The second group, she likes to call shapers, or I'd say they're the people that enjoy order in worship. Now, you might know you fit in this group if you noticed that the Bible's not centered on this altar. Anybody notice that? And if you did, it's probably driving you nuts, right? I apologize. I didn't do it intentionally. I left it from the last service to make my point. So I'll put it back as close as I can. And you'll probably notice if I didn't get it perfectly. I used to have somebody in my last church that sometimes my stole would get a little crooked. And she couldn't listen to my sermon. It would drive her crazy. She'd come up before service every time and make sure it was straight. So at least when I started, it would be straight. People that like order need to have everything in place because everything has a place and, uh, and so everything flows together with all this. Worship is done decently in good order. We like bulletins that tell us where we're going and we don't like preachers who keep messing with the order of worship. Right? <laughs> Theologically, we like to be right with God. That's the main goal. We believe in a God who's eternal steadfast and sustaining. And one of your favorite scriptures might be God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if you're singing a song, you might enjoy this song. Group are people whose brains tell them when a song's going, their their body has to be moving. Marsh McPhee calls them swingers. I call them people who like celebration. They're playful, emotional. Creativity is a word they use often. They're less focused on time. They don't have to be done with service in one hour. As long as the worship's good, it can keep on going. They're expressive. Some songs you'll see them swaying to the rhythm. And worship has a place, it's a place to feel and find relationship with God and others. They're about participation, interaction, personal connection. They like the spontaneous elements in worship. Their God is a God of hope and possibilities. One of their favorite passages might be Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And for the song that they might sing, I, I want us to stand for this. Okay? Stand for this one. Now, before you sit down, did you notice anybody around you swing? You're a swinger. Melissa, you're a swinger. All the way, I saw a swinger up there. So you can sit down. And just a couple points to help you understand swingers a little bit. You notice we repeated that verse. And if you go to some churches and they have praise services, you might get tired of that repetitive part of songs. But there is a reason for that. And the reason is that these songs, it takes a while to get into the mood of the song. And so when you sing it the second time, you relax. You don't have to worry about the words that are coming up. And also it allows you to focus and concentrate on your connection with God as well as with others. So that is the rationale behind some of that repetition. The last group, Marsha Buffy likes to call hangers. I like the dominant word of presence. God is about a God of presence. They are people that just go with the flow. They like the language of being, of comfort, of silence, reflection. There might be somebody who likes to walk a prayer labyrinth, or maybe they like prayer walking. They like prescribed silence. They like guided prayers in worship. For them, worship's about going deeper with God. And worship's a place to just come and be. As a matter of fact, you'll find many like to sit along the back. I just thought it was because you're heathens. But the real reason is that you like to hang out and take in the whole. You like to see who is and who isn't here. It's a good reason to sit in the back. So, so I won't look at you heathens anymore. Welcome to it. You're just worshiping the way that you need to worship. Your favorite Bible passage could be in Romans 8.28. <clears> we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And you might like this song. Thank you. Now, you may have enjoyed all these songs. You might find that you don't fit one box that strongly. Mark Schmitt says we tend to gravitate towards one. But the point is they're all good and they're all valid. And the challenge for us as worship planners and also for those who come and experience worship is realize that too much of a good thing can be too much of a good thing. Just imagine what worship would be like if we always sang those powerful thrusting songs all the time. We'd get exhausted. (laughs) It would wear us out. And if we're so worried about the shape and form and everything being in order, you can get more focused on the form than you do upon the presence of God. And if every song was about swinging, our focus could become upon emotion and not about connecting with the world that is outside Too much of a good thing can be too much of a good thing. The importance is to find balance. Now, the challenge is we can't do all four of these every single Sunday. That would be hard to do. So our hope, our, our goal is that over the course of several weeks, over the course of a series, that we experience all four of these somewhere, someplace. And I think the important point for all of us to hear is to have the tolerance, the flexibility, the depth of understanding to realize that the very thing that we just might find not all that exciting and we just could do without could be the very thing that connects someone else to God. Because this isn't just about preferences. This is about spiritual formation. So keep in mind that some things may not be your thing, but they might be someone else's thing. And pray that we find that balance in our worship, in our community of faith, and in our spirits. Let me send you home with this one last thought. I've tried to share with you these things so that you can see worship through the eyes of someone else. And so the focus has kind of been how we experience worship. But let's keep one thing in mind always, which is the point that we started with. When we come together to worship, the real audience is God. It's not us. It's not about us. It's about God. So may we always direct our hearts and minds, whether through song, through words, through what's in our spirits, towards the living God who calls us together as his people. Let's pray.